you know what's funny? Amber and I were randomly having this conversation last night because I, I was I don't even know where this came from, but I told her, I said, Well, you're half white. I'm a fourth white. So when we start having kids, how, how white are they going to be? And we, we actually did the math, and I think it would come out to our kid would technically be, what is it, uh, 37 and a half. I was going to say Caucasian. like a third-ish. I think it's but, an you know, The kid's going to be born knowing the Carlton dance. That's all you have to know. Uh, that's a little <laughs> close for my, my Not the Carlton <laughs> dance, but the 37 man. It's like, uh, I kid, I kid, cause you know my my uh you know my mom is half white. My um my my grandmother, my mom's mom, rest her soul. She was her mom was French, and her dad was Cherokee. And you know, hell, for all I know, he might have been one of them five dollar Indians. I, I really don't know. There's not a whole lot about him because I've tried to do research on him. But I mean, he got killed in a card game when my grandmother was twelve. But you know, that's one of the reasons that I when people say, oh, well, you know, they make excuses for racist people back in the day, and they say, oh, it was a different time and this and that. I'm like, yo, man, my grandmother, rest her soul, she was married to a dark-skinned black man in the 40s. Like, what the fuck? In the fucking 40s, you know? Well, good for her, because she had to deal with a bunch of shit then, because that, that was different-minded people back then. So good on her for being a little more progressive for that point. Bro, you know how many stories I heard growing up about how they would get on the bus together and they'd end up getting kicked off because they tell her, okay, yeah, you can sit up front, but, you know, you got to take your ass to the back. And she'd be like, no, that's my husband. He sit where I sit, and then they end up both getting kicked off the bus. <laughs> so shout out to uh, Tippy wow. Glenn, man. All right, Pete. That's cool. I don't even know where that shit came from, man. It was just weird. And Tunny is very white, and Tunny does have a, a John Cena haircut. I just had to throw that out there for the people. You can get and the it's light. not even prototype that- or anything like that. Eat that shit up, you're gonna get a lightning fist. That's go out to uh, China for six months and train with Jackie Chan in hopes of getting a movie, John Cena haircut. You know, it is better than that fucking thing Cena's been doing lately, where it's like that comb over Princeton kind of look, and then it makes his face look all extra drawn and fucking ancient. So when he came out, I can do that. Firefly thing, and he looked old as fuck in his prototype gear. So you're just like, oh, he's still in pretty good shape, and he looks good. And then you look at the fucking face in the air, and you're like, and he looks like a dad pretending to do his old thing. I do. That's funny, man, because I wanted to go there and we'll get there, you know, after we start the show. But I was thinking the exact same thing, how he looked ridiculous in every single outfit he had on. And that's why. But let's just start the show, man. We'll get it. What that? are you doing? Some good jokes. Honey, I don't think right you've there. got enough hair to comb it over. It's Bobby. actually worse. Yes. Yes. Oh, no. Like, are you like that? I mean, no, I don't know. No, no, no. You're Not fine. Anything. Just push, push it forward. Do the normal thing. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. now you look like a. Oh, you're the dead Perfect. Perfect. I need TP for Perfect. my bunghole. Perfect. Yeah, everybody needs TP now. Fuck, that's expensive shit right there. So Cornholio was onto some shit back in the '90s. Good for him. Shit, everybody genius. needs haircuts now. Shit. He's a fucking millionaire though. He needed all that TP, fucking all that coke and shit like that. He was doing Cornholio, man. <sighs> Jesus. All right, I gotta fix my hair. Let's start the show and play this song. <laughs>
Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Pod is War. Pod is War is brought to you by the good folks at ChairShot Dorito Network in conjunction with thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Also, folks, you can find Pot is War on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play. Basically, anywhere that you listen to your other podcast, guess what? We're there, too. You can also find us through our distribution partners at eWrestlingNews.com as well as Raja.com. That's right, the chair shot. We are expanding, my man and them. I couldn't figure out how to do that. But, anywho, <laughs> y'all know what it is. Make sure you go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot. Pick up an official Chair Shot t-shirt. It is Easter Sunday, so pick up the reason for the season, i.e. your Messiah, Jesus, doing the old... Let me do that like Vince McMahon. Jesus doing the ultimate job. You can also find Save Tag Team Wrestling, hashtag journalism, Baron Corbin sucks, and many, many other really cool designs at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. If you type in hashtag resurrection, you might get something off. I'm not nope. guaranteeing it. It nope. just sounds like it makes nope. sense. So try. Nope. We've done this before. Try. It doesn't. It won't work. Well, you don't know because you haven't tried it. Anywho, I I'm Mr. Velvet Pipe. I haven't Mr. tried Black, it, but it won't as work. As always, really, during the intro. We're starting early this week, huh? I can't help if you want to spread falsehoods right away. It's like, hey, try this promo. It won't work. And they're all pissed off at us. What the fuck? You know, they're gonna get, you're going to get sued. You're gonna get sued. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Happy about that? Let me bring, put Amber on. See how she feels about this shit. Okay, so number one, I did, I did give a disclaimer, and number two, you know what? I'm Mr. Velvet Pipes, Christopher Platt, and I'm joined by two schmucks. Schmucks, how are you? Not, not too bad. Schmuck, 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 schmuck. Oh, shit. I got Yoda. Oh, wise guy, eh? <laughs> Here, hit this. Uh, <laughs> uh, geez. So it's going to be one of those nights. That's going to be yeah. fun. I really love that show, oh, Perfect sorry. Strangers. Really? Uh, Mork and Mindy? Right? Right? Mork and Mindy? What are y'all talking about? That was all three Growing stooges. Pains. What the hell? It was quite, oh, was three, three stooges. I thought it was Andy Griffith. Are we sure? When did, when sure did Andy Griffin? Oh, what if it was my Andy three Griffin? dads? That'd be better. Oh, I don't know, Maul. It was two <laughs> dads, first and foremost. My two dads? And, that was on USA Network. And, that was pretty good. Paul Reiser was on. No, it was before was, Mad About You. It was on, ABC. and then he was with Helen Hunt on. Oh, on, that's um, right. I'm, I'm thinking in syndication. Three men and a baby. Then that's Paul Reiser, he did Mad About You with Good Helen Hunt, Selleck. and then Helen Hunt did the tornado movie with the guy, and then the guy did the other movie with the thing. Oh yeah, that's true. I'm PC that's Tony. Hi. Uh, that that's some great pop culture references right there. The thing and the person and Laura Dern might have been involved too because she's in a lot of shit. So yeah, Laura Dern. those were all horrible pop culture references. So Schmuck what? One has identified himself. Schmuck Two, would you like to identify yourself as well? Sweet, I'm oh, Schmuck One. Andrew I get listed Snowflake first in the credits. Ball. Hello, how's everybody? Oh, you you got Schmuck One. Yeah, good job. You you get ahead. Fuck you, Schmuck One. What is this, grumpy old man? 
Get it's some sounding like it, and y'all look like some grumpy ass old men. Y'all need to go outside and get some sun or something. Jesus Christ! So, so distancing is doing a number on y'all. It's illegal. You can't go outside. You get fired. Word. <laughs> yes, you get fired from the state you live in. I How heard it. How's the state gonna fire you? How does that work? Where was? Where'd you hear that? Uh, movies. You were supposed to say the internet, and then I would say, oh, okay, well, then it's true. But you. And then I would have said, who that up to? Yeah, I would have said they have the internet on computers. So you blew it. But we're on computers right now. Right. So that's am where I. The, am that's I where the internet is. This is the internet? So I am the internet? I'm just going to make one, the one quick suggestion. Chris, you need to take control, otherwise, this show is going to be a lot like last week's show. <laughs> Yeah, so ladies and gentlemen, we are on the hills of the first ever WrestleMania that was too big for one night. And obviously there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of things to unpack. We're probably going to be spending most of our time on the two most polarizing, well, or maybe even the three most polarizing matches on the CAD. But I want to start off by saying this before we get into it, is that I feel as if they pulled it off. I, I'll say it like this. There was only two matches where I felt as if they the crowd was needed. Everything else that happened on the card, I feel as if I would have felt the exact same way about it had I been there in person or had, had there been a crowd there, if that makes sense. Not saying everything was roses and sunshine. There was some amazing, there was some bad, and there was some mad. And I don't think that changed because of the absence of the crowd, if that makes sense to y'all. Oh, no, I agree with you completely that there were some really good matches, some lame matches, some matches that were hurt a little by the finish. And, yeah, I, I, I can see what you mean, but I can, think of, I can think of one match that definitely needed the crowd. And the only one that popped to my head right away was the, uh, the Otis and Dolph Ziggler one. Because you just kind of had, because you knew the crowd was going to be sympathetic to it, because it's just one of those feel-good, typical WWE kind of goofy, the big lug gets the girl, and he rides off, and like the boyhood dream come true type kind of thing. And I, I think the crowd wouldn't have shit on that, just because it's cute, and I think they'd realize it's supposed to be cute, so they would have given him the big pop that he wanted. And and, yeah, so. and most of the crowd looks like Otis, so they would have been vicariously living through him. But that's one of the two, though, because because the crowd <laughs> that's one of the two because the crowd would have went cuckoo for cocoa puffs over that. And then when they got the the smooch at the end, yeah, that that's one of the two. So what's your second one then? The other one is actually Sami Zayn versus Daniel Bryan for the Intercontinental title. And the reason I say that it, that suffered from the crowd or the lack of crowd is because of the story they told. With Sami being the chicken shit heel, and every time that Daniel's trying to engage, he bails out the ring. Like, the crowd would have ate his ass up, and they would have been booing him. And then when Daniel finally got his hands on Sami, they would have popped big. I felt like they did a match that was predicated on having a crowd. And then, of course, the heel won in the end, and they would have booed, and he would have got hella heat as he sneaks out like a thief in the night with the belt. 
My my only argument to that is I feel like they would have just shit on it instead of booing because he's doing things they don't like because no. he's a chicken shit heel. That's I think, I think Bryan. that would have gotten a shit on moment because no, that's Daniel Bryan. <laughs> Daniel Bryan matches don't but get shit on. Daniel me. Bryan is the IWC's boy because he's usually a workhorse, so he's in like he had the Fiend's best match, you know, actual physical match, and people know that okay, Bryan, if he's in there, it's gonna be a good match. So when you put Bryan and Sami Zayn in there. I think it was going to be a lot like AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, where the public perception was going to be like, oh, this is going to be a barn burner. We remember the Wrestle Kingdom match. It's going to be fucking good because both these guys can go. And when you make it kind of that overbooked, gimmicky, chicken shit, kind of barely any interaction, a couple moves, and then bullshit, I think the crowd might have shit on it a little more than you're thinking they would. I don't think they would have responded because it's heel tactics. I think they would have went to just trying to get themselves over. Bro, ain't no ain't no wrestling crowd shitting on nothing Daniel Bryan does. Point blank period. When have they shat on anything Daniel Bryan has done in the past what we'll say what seven to ten years? They, they weren't, weren't gonna shit on right away the fickle thing. He he did a good job getting people to boo him for that one. Granted that could have been his own work himself, but it's not like he's blindly supported just because he's the American Dragon. That's why they were not on board with that because nobody wants to boo Daniel Bryan because he was the ultimate babyface and he had to work hard as hell to turn the crowd. And, and it's a testament to, to how skilled he is AJ that he did Styles. it. They also had to put him against AJ Styles, who's another one of the fucking golden boys when it comes to IWC. So you had to boo one of them and... Brian wasn't saying the things that people liked. And there was there was more negativity about Daniel Bryan with that whole Planets Warrior wooden championship fucking fickle fickle fucking green bullshit. So that I've right. seen in a while. I see the people you're literally making my point. You're I see literally the... making my point for me. No, I but you the... know what I mean. The IWC doesn't feel like they're being worked and they don't go into the angle. They they take that whole we don't like this because it should be this, it should be that, he's good, he's better than this. They they take that weird moral high ground kind of stance, and that's kind of where I could see this kind of fluttering no, into. Oh, they would have been a 110% behind Daniel because the Yes movement is back, and 80,000 people would have been able to chant Yes again. And with with uh, Sammy cutting out the ring, he would have got super tremendous heat, and maybe, they would have worked it. I said maybe, I'm just saying, I could see it both ways but my my perception of it was that i feel like the crowd would shit on it more than help it along so that that's They're kind of where i was going daniel, daniel bryan is man, you know daniel that. daniel bryan has never been shit on in wwe daniel bryan was booed during his fickle period by a majority of people who were iwc people be, out of respect for the angle and they were just like okay we boo daniel bryan here because we respect daniel bryan and you can raise your eyebrow and look over there all you want like see you see you you can but this is an audio podcast so regardless of my john cena haircut i can see you and yes we can see you too so the haircut's not working i mean you're literally saying the same thing i'm saying so i'm i'm trying to hang back and let you go on and go no, I, I just said it. I agree with you. I, no one has ever shit. No audience, no in-person audience member at a WWE event has ever shit on Daniel Bryan, even if they're booing him. It's a bold claim. He's, he's less. He's, it's if very much so true, the truth. The first time for everything. Daniel Bryan's been less shit on throughout his WWE career than Roman Reigns after coming back from cancer. 
Roman Reigns has been shit on by the crowds in arenas more than a- after he's come back from cancer than Daniel Bryan has ever been shit on in arenas in WWE. Okay, that might be true because people still hate Roman just because he's Roman. That that's low bar though. <laughs> Roman hate is real. <laughs> so, Tony, if you could do me a favor here, sir, man, uh, kind of, I'm not touching that with a bat. Get well soon, Roman. Oh, oh, let me say, let me bring that up, man. The fact that they didn't want to bring up the reason why Roman Reigns didn't compete on WrestleMania. You've been trying your damnedest to get this man over as the lead babyface of the company. What's more babyface than, hey, I've cancer twice. I have a weak immune system. I think Vince I wanted... should be here wrestling. Vin... And then you could tug on their heartstrings, talking about how Roman wanted to be there. Excuse me, because he's a competitor and he's a warrior. And, you know, he, he just didn't want to let down his family. And his family pled with him not to come. And, you know, he had to put his family first before the, the universal title and all that. Like, that's a very easy babyface story to tell right there. Why would that be the number one story? Why would the number one story about WrestleMania be about the guy who isn't even at WrestleMania? That's why. That's why if they talk about it, if they come on and they talk about it and they say Roman Reigns isn't here because of that, then that's the biggest reason for WrestleMania. But they let all of us talk about it, and Roman came out and said his little thing, and then we all decided not to talk about that because they weren't, and we talked about what are they going to do instead. And it was really smart, in my opinion. I literally just told you why they should have brought it up. They've been trying for the past seven years. And I just literally told you why they shouldn't because he's already over. Yeah, that he's not over. That was that was a stupid explanation. You're trying to get this guy over as the top baby face in all of wrestling. Who are you trying to get over as a top baby face in wrestling? Who? Who are you trying to get over as top baby face in wrestling? Roman Reigns. It's really hard to try and get a guy over as a top baby face in wrestling when he's already over as the best baby face in wrestling, Platt. No, he's not. What the hell are you talking about? We just talked about how people still shit on the man. He's still the best baby face in wrestling, though, because of those reasons. I didn't say the best. I said the top. There's a difference. Oh, yes, he's... He is the top. He is trying to get him over as the top guy in the top company and half the audience still shits on him. What's a better way to put a little bit of sympathy on him? Half the audience doesn't still shit on him. No, they're so wrong. Yes. I can't even. Yes. I can't even. I can't even. You two went from the odd couple being all happy living together, uh, agreeing on the Daniel Bryan thing, to then then it was, fuck you, no, you, fuck the... That was fantastic. That was the biggest. I love Voldemort. I'm coming for your ass next, but we we just finished some shit shit up right now. Yeah, hey, listen. Hey, we're we're fighting right now, boss. You shut the fuck up. I know you you two can keep fighting. That's just funny. You go from agreeing, yeah, Daniel Bryan, yeah, Daniel Bryan, to Roman Reigns. Fuck you, it's wrong. No, you don't talk about the person that's not there. Fuck this, fuck that. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, the scary thing, the scary thing is I see Tani's point where you don't want the guy that's not there overshadowing the rest of the show. And even though, Chris, you're completely right where it would make him look like ultimate baby face, good guy, my family, my daughter, yada, yada, yada. Mania is bigger than that. But it did both. It did both. He's ultimate family guy because he didn't go. He wasn't going to overshadow shit. We clearly had three talking points 
We've been talking about this shit for like 10 minutes now, and we have three polarizing-ass talking points that are going to take up the majority of the rest of this show. I'm pretty sure Mania wasn't what for storylines, and it wouldn't have been all about Roman. Roman was obviously been a nice the game, most polarizing because you didn't even expect it, and it showed up, and it slapped you in the face. They were going to close the show. his fucking head and acting like he's going to explode. They were going to close the show with Roman Reigns winning the fucking title. But they did they didn't. They did not. And this would have been right, a great opportunity to get some sympathy on your page. If they had Roman Hollow-Pierced himself and hit Goldberg with a hologram spear and pin him and get the one, two, three from home. What if we went that? We took that whole hologram Michael Jackson kind of shit and we turned it up to notch. Roman Reigns could win from home. So it's safe. He looks strong. He is so strong he can beat you as a hologram. What about that? We're bringing up holograms. It's probably yeah, who's his manager? Tupac? The stupidest shit in the history of the chairshot.com. I said, who's not using your head, sir. You're not using your head. Who's who's hologram Roman's fucking manager? Tupac? No, it's actually going to be Malcolm Bivens because Malcolm Bivens could get that fucking shit over. Isn't Tupac like the most... Who was you going to say? Fuji. Oh. Isn't Tupac oh, like the most? Oh, he can throw hologram dust at Goldberg, and then he- <laughs> and then he's got my eyes. See, see. Oh, look- I got, I got our, I got our title this week. Are you ready? Pot is war. Hologram Fuji, comma real salt. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh shit. All right, so even though we, we disagree on a couple points of what could have been, how about let's talk about what was, and what were your three main match takeaways, however you look at Mania? Give me give me a couple of them to actually bite on that actually happened. Number one, nice segue. Number two, um, I try once three in a takeaways. While. You know, you tried it once, and it's been a while, but Three takeaways from Mania. Um, my first takeaway is that they pulled it off. I mean, I always say this on any platform that I'm on, on any broadcast that I'm on, that the best way to consume wrestling in the year 2020 of pestilence and Egypt, Egyptian plagues and all that goofy shit is to temper your expectations. I didn't have high expectations coming into this Mania. I was more curious on the car wreck side of a game. You know how you're rubbernecking during the car crash trying to see what's happening? Oh, yeah. That's where I came in during this mania and it exceeded my expectations. I, I was on a supernatural high after night one. I thought night one came off better than night two, but it might have been because night one came off so well that there was, was no way a, that night two was going to be able to duplicate night one. I was on a different kind of high. Um, <laughs> Yes. I, I think but, okay, night so, one benefited from the fact that one of its highest points was at the end, and night two's probably one of night two's highest points was at the very beginning, and then it ended with kind of the same match we saw on night one, because Drew and Lesnar and Goldberg and Braun were basically the same match except Drew and Lesnar had two more minutes, where it was each one hits like four moves on the other one and then it's over, so. It was, it was a little redundant, and I think that made it flat, even though the right person, quote-unquote, went over, and I'm happy as shit for McIntyre. I think the fact that it was a little 
flat of a finish and that it's kind of it was way too similar to Goldberg and Strowman is what leaves the uh, the bad taste in someone's mouth. And the Boneyard match was fucking fantastic. We're, we're going to get to that momentarily, but I, I can't really I'm glad you brought that up because I can't really eat their lunch on the duplicate matches because we don't know when that Goldberg and Braun match happened. We we just don't. I mean, the 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 rumor and scuttlebutt is that Roman was in the building and then he got freaked out because Miz showed up coughing or some goofy shit like that. And that's at that point he said, "All right, I'm gonna head out." So we don't know when that was when that was taped, and they might have been scrambling and who knows, man. What I envisioned in my head happening, just because it's funny to me, is Vince just stomping around the performance center like, "God damn it, who's gonna be the ready for the Universal Title? Goldberg's here." And then some random ass dude comes up to him and he's just randomly looking at Braun's Instagram when he put out that, you know, that very insensitive post about people begging for money and talking about how he packed up and had 150 bucks and drove to Orlando. And the dude just shows it to Vince. He says, hey, yo, boss, uh, look at this. And he says, and Vince <laughs> looks at it and says, God damn it. He's here in Orlando. God damn it. Get him on the phone. Get his ass here. Tell him he's going to win the Universal title. And that's how that all came about. So I'm not going to be mad that they had to duplicate it because, I mean, this this whole media was um, sponsored by tape, spit, bubblegum, and glue. So, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it is what it is. And they the, the fact that they were able to piece something together and it came out as well as it did, I'm just amazed by that. Let's let's turn the the angle of the lens here a little bit and our perspective of WrestleMania and talk about how endings could have changed because of the WrestleMania or because of what's going on. I think the most prominent thing right now is that Charlotte won because Rhea's work visa wasn't renewed and she's back in Australia. You want to start there? That's what it seems like. Allegedly, because uh, Rhea Ripley, the delicious Rhea Ripley, I beg your pardon, she actually put something out on social media today telling everybody that she was still in America. So I don't know how credible that is. That would seem to make sense as to why Charlotte went over, but I don't know. I don't know. Okay, that's a quick hit. How about a quick hit on this one? Balls. Becky over Shayna. Do we just believe the fact that all the rumors of Vince was never over on Shayna coming through? That's a good point. And I I don't really have a quick answer for that one because that was one of the matches that disappointed me purely because of the finish. And not because Becky won, but because it hurts Shayna's development as a character in NXT. And I know, yes, they, they utilize the NXT stuff when they feel like it, and sometimes it exists, sometimes it doesn't. But that is literally the way she lost the title to Kyrie Sane. And she showed in her rematches with Kyrie Sane that she's evolved past trying to lock in the Kira Fuda and then just have somebody float over and keep her shoulders down. Like she evolved during NXT and during that whole second run that she was better than that. And why would you have her basically just downgrade back to old Shayna who doesn't realize that it's not MMA and she can't move her fucking shoulders off a mat. Like that, that that's where it bothered me. Yes, that's a little too smart, Mark. Yes, that's a, probably delving into it a little too deep because it was an NXT thing, but it just it gnawed at me wrong. Here's my other thing real quick is the funny thing is I can pretty much remember 
I, I can't remember the name, but I can remember Big Star being rumored to go on break after WrestleMania, and they stuck around for one more pay-per-view, and then they went on break. And it sounds like Shayna is still going to get a rematch. So that is to be continued. Platt, I wanted to go back to something you brought up was The Miz and Roman. And Roman left because The Miz came in coughing. So The Miz's match was directly affected. And much like not talking about Roman being out of the match, they didn't really talk about Miz being out of the match right until the Friday SmackDown beforehand. And we ended up with the triple threat ladder match. I don't think we really talked about that so far. I think that was pretty cool. I think the ending was actually something we've never seen before where he pulled the two belts down and the other guys are still sitting there with the with the gold thing, each holding one. I know you're thinking, but Platt, what are your thoughts on that? They kind of did that twice with not announcing what was going to happen with the match. Well, Miz also isn't positioned as the face of the company either and a guy that has struggled to to get over as the face of the company. So, I mean, it's it's apples and orangutans, man. As far as that match goes, all three of those guys worked extremely hard in the ring, and they did. They had an ending. They they actually had a spot that I had never seen in a ladder match before, but I couldn't have cared less. And that's no disrespect to any of the competitors in there. I just didn't care. And I'm kind of... I'm cool on the ladder matches at this point. They happen so frequently and so often, and... It's one of those tropes that's kind of been done to death at this point. And I wouldn't be mad if we didn't see another ladder match for a year or two and then actually build up to it and made it actually mean something. But shout out to those competitors because to go out there and do that and bust their ass with that ladder with no crowd, yeah, they get all the props in the world for that. Gimmick match you haven't seen in a long time that you want to see. Ready, set, go, I'll start. Blindfold match. A la Rick Martell. Uh, Jake the Snake. Okay. Right? That's who that was, right? Ju- I'm pretty sure that was Martell and I Roberts. think so. No, or was it DiBiase? Judy Bagwell. Was it DiBiase no, um, uh, Rick Mart. No, that was Rick Martell and Jake okay. the Snake. You're okay. right. You want to see Judy Bagwell on a pole match? Yes, but not <laughs> Judy Bagwell. Maybe like... We could throw Lana on a pole, or we could throw Mandy Rose on a pole and have Dolph Ziggler and Otis fight for her affections, or, you know, some goofy shit like Mandy that. Mandy Rose in the shark cage? Every other gimmick has is, is been done to death. Do the shark cage with Mandy Rose? Oh, I hate the shark cage, though. But yes, I get what you're getting at. It's a good good idea. Props to you, Tony. But I don't know. I've always kind of liked the Four Corners match. That that old Texas bull rope Four Corners type thing, because it, it was a little different where... You know, you really cared once they touched three, and it was kind of like playing like an old school kid game where, you know, you realize you're not going to lose until the last move, and then that's when the the match kind of picked up. So that might be a little too old school. There might not be a way to really spice that up, but I, I've always kind of liked those. But t- touching on the, the ladder match a little bit, I thought that was a really damn good match. Like, I agree that ladder matches are done a little too much now, but the finish with Morrison coming down with the two belts reminded me a lot of Styles and TNA during the uh, Ultimate X match when I think it was Kaz and maybe Petey, Petey Williams or somebody fighting over on the top and Styles just kind of jumped up and grabbed the belt from them and fell down with it. So I thought I thought that was that was clever that was fun for me because it kind of reminded me of the old old school good TNA and AJ Styles doing something cool. But it, it also looked good for Morrison because that's, that's perfect because U- Uso and uh, Kofi just kind of 
kind of looked like motherfucker. And then J- J- Morrison just had like that, that Cheshire cat kind of shitting and grin. And she's like, ah, I got them, even though I landed on a ladder and now I hurt. So it was, it was great. <laughs> so we're talking about people retaining. How about Bailey retaining? Thoughts there? That match was okay, but it was more storyline-driven than anything else. That was a match that that was the beginning as opposed to the culmination because they're playing up the whole Sasha and Bailey thing. Eventually, that thing's going to implode, and that was the story of the match. Like, you saw they had they were working together. They had the opportunity, or Bailey rather, had the opportunity to save Sasha, and she chose not to. She chose to let Sasha get pinned, and then ultimately Sasha still came out and helped Bailey maintain or retain. And then you kind of see the side eye look that Sasha was giving Bailey, like, yeah, yeah, I might have to go take that title. So I'm interested to see where that storyline is going to go. Hell, I'm interested to see where any of this stuff is going to go because we don't know how long it's going to go at this point. True. Yeah. The match itself, I didn't give a shit about. But if Sasha didn't come in at the end to help Bailey retain, that would have been a terrible match, but I, I like the little wrinkle that everybody usually says Sasha's the one to backstab and to take any kind of angle possible to win. And this time she turned out to be the better friend. So it, it's, it's an interesting enough wrinkle to keep that story kind of moving and to kind of keep people invested. Cause you got to assume Sasha's the next one to challenge and Sasha with the blue hair and the blue belt makes a lot of sense. Those girls remind me of, or those young ladies, rather, they remind me of some, some, some girls that you meet at the club, and you go up, and you holler at Bailey, and Bailey seems, like, really nice, and, like, she's really into you, and you you all are going to get together and make something happen, but ultimately, she just gives you a fake number while smiling in your face the whole time, when Sasha's that friend in the background just side-eyeing and, and rolling her eyes at you the entire time, like, this fucking clown. That, that's what that those two ladies remind me of. Somebody knows what I'm talking about out there. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're maybe that's right. what happened and to that's... you, but they end up coming both home with me. <laughs> now, okay, now with that White haircut. Claw, or or the White Claw. Haircut. Haircuts and White Claws. That could be a name of a podcast, too. But, yeah. Hey, yeah. Not as long as I'm in charge. <laughs> but, no, you're right. And I think that was something we said for the longest time about the disconnect with the Bailey bubbly kitty character is that she didn't come off like a legitimate nice person like you look at the difference between like how kylie ray handles herself and bailey and it's just like bailey comes off fake as shit you're you're completely right she looks at the one that's nice to your face but complete fucking bitch as soon as you turn around Now that Kylie Ray shit is corny too. That's just some corny shit. It's Both corny, of- but she comes off sweet as shit. Like you can tell she's actually probably a nice bubbly person. Bailey came off fake. Corny, that's a different com- conversation, but I'm talking about real and fake. I've seen uh, both too in person. Much sugar give you diabetes, balls. I've seen both in yeah, person. But it tastes good going down. Kylie Ray does it better, Bailey, than Bailey. I agreed. I'm a big fan of Kylie Ray personally, so I'm not going to say shit negative about her. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Kylie Ray, so yes, big fan. Very much so. Many ways. Okay, cool. Quick, we need a segue! <laughs> the Chairshot.com. Always use your head.
Thank you, William Shatner. Is there anything else? Oh, wait, I can do that better. If I'm William Shatner, I can do that better. Now it's probably going to be worse because I'm trying. The chairshot.com. Always use your head. Now you got to make out with some green chick in your living room. Ooh, that'd be cool. That would be. PC Tunny, the first motherfucker to fuck a Martian. To the space modulator. Yeah, let's move on here. So (laughs) before we get to the big three, is there anything else that you guys want to touch on? I don't know. I'm kind of this whole alien thing. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. Space. There you go. Oh, we got a third one. Space creator. So yeah, anything Still. else that you wanted to touch on? Um, the Shayna Baszler Becky thing. I all that told me is that that storyline's not over yet. And the the women, I thought they won night one. They were beating the holy hell out of each other in in both of those women's matches. Like you could hear that. You could hear it. It was hard hitting Mark Whitten in that Mellon Farmer. And that tag match with the Butt Pirates versus Nikki Cross and and Alexa Bliss. That Bliss match Cross number episodes. one. <laughs> I was a little irritated to begin with because I didn't think that was the match that should have kicked off this mania. So I didn't want to like the match, but God damn it. Those ladies worked really hard and Oscar is really, really good at pro wrestling and Nikki Cross and Kyrie Sane are good as well. Alexa bliss played her role. Well, she's super athletic. Also, I don't think she gets enough credit for that. And that was a damn fine tag match. I, I really enjoyed that match. I, I really did. All right. So yeah, that- Oh, I was going to say, you know, that no match one... just makes me realize that yeah. Alexa Bliss doesn't get the, the credit she deserves. Exactly. Much like, on this sh- much like on this show right now. So we're going to move along here. Have we? Wow. <laughs> wow. She's nice to look at. She's okay. She's a champion. What? She's there. What? Whatever. She's there to make depth in the division. She's not that great. Nick the Cross views is... and opinions of PC Tunney do not directly reflect the Nikki, views of a potty's war in the Nikki Cross is way better than Alexa Bliss. Let's talk about, I, I know I stepped away for a minute, but we have not talked away about, I, I, if I'm mistaken, about the two cinematic masterpieces from WrestleMania. We didn't. So do you want to go there first, or do you want to get Orton and Edge out the way right quick? Well, before we get to those three things... I want to say that in opening Monday Night Raw with the Drew McIntyre, Brock Lesnar montage, they missed the best part of WrestleMania that should have ended that montage. The big show? The hand reaching out? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It was the most Mm -hmm. authentic part of WrestleMania because the only audience for WrestleMania was watching WrestleMania. And the only person that did that legitimately at the up-close personal level was Drew McIntyre. And he literally put his hand out and reached out to the people that were watching him and thanked them. And they decided not to put that into that montage. What a disservice to Drew McIntyre and WrestleMania. Well, I mean, this whole situation was a disservice to Drew McIntyre in WrestleMania because he didn't get to get that moment in front of that live crowd. I really felt bad for guy or people like him and and Rhea Ripley and the Street Profits. You know, people that those acts. This was their first WrestleMania, and I'm sure they made the most of it. 
But if you sat them down by themselves and fed them a couple of drinks, I'm sure they would say that they were sorely disappointed with how everything played out. Just the lack of that audience and getting to feel that crowd and that energy. That's and the same funny. thing with Drew. This was his culmination, and he culminated in front of 10 people. Yeah, but Tony, for for hypothetical. <laughs> um, Fun is more. He culminated in front of 10 people. I'm sorry. Leader in the clubhouse. That's, no, that, that's good. That's good. But what if that was done on purpose? What if that was done to rile up the IWC? Because, you know, 85, 90% of the fans aren't the Twitterverse. So they're going to, they know what happened. They They don't really see it as a slight. But the IWC now would be possibly more just uh just fired up just emblazoned to fucking follow drew mcintyre's title run and not turn on him right away because of the fact that they feel like maybe wwe gave him the short short end of the stick and then you know throwing big show at him right away and then not giving him the the moment to kind of connect right there where they made the the montage more about the match and lesnar than about his win and how that that compassionate moment so what if this is just them trying to frame it in a way to make sure the hardcores stay on drew's side and not turn in a month or so which seems to happen quite often no i think they did everything possible sorry chris i'm going to be really brief and let let you guys finish this one and talk about the three biggest things from wrestlemania i thought they did everything possible to get drew mcintyre over including what they did on raw they opened a mon. They opened with the mon. They had the montage to start or whatever for him, and then they finished with Big Show putting him over, mm-hmm. big time. Mm-hmm. And I, they capitalized on Big Show's show, the Big Show show on Netflix coming out, which I binged, <laughs> and it was pretty good. It's good family comedy. But <laughs> no, they did everything possible to capitalize on Drew McIntyre, and they just missed that. Somebody missed that. Vince, mm-hmm. Vince, I know you listen. I know your little games you play over the years with me. I know you do it. But it it's you getting win. you to talk about it right now, so obviously you feel well, like he deserved well, that extra yeah, little nudge. Well, yeah, well, you missed that one, brother. I'm the one that I said it. Fuck, I'm the one that said it. Chris is the one that didn't say the hand. I knew the hand thing. I was talking I'm to Vince. I telling you. Oh, sorry, no, sorry, Vince. You're, you're, you're talking about it right now, so that means there might be a few pieces of the IWC like you no, that see Vince. it as slight still. I'm, I don't consider no, myself I part of the IWC. like they did everything they could to try to get him over as strong as they possibly could. They couldn't predict a goddamn pandemic <laughs> when they booked McIntyre into the main event of WrestleMania. And uh, about the Big Show thing, I thought it was interesting because y'all know typically the past, what, maybe seven to ten years Big Show, Kane, and Randy Orton, they kind of served as the upper card gatekeepers. And then once you you know, were able to go through feuds with them, you were supposed to theoretically be able to break through to that main event type level you know, on, on, on the video game side of the game. And so I thought that was interesting that they brought Big Show out at the end after the mountain was climbed as opposed to as he was climbing the mountain. That was an interesting wrinkle. But as far as McIntyre and everything else, One of the weird things to me is that I feel as if we're night one. Excuse me. Some of those outcomes were changed because of situations and circumstances. 
I had the opposite feeling about night two. I feel like night two was pretty chalk and that those were the outcomes pretty Rona. Those would have been the same outcomes. So I don't know. That was just a weird dichotomy to me. Even the Rhea one? Even the what one? Rhea of Charlotte? Yeah, because I, I think um, theoretically Charlotte makes sense winning that belt if you're going to have her on NXTV, NXTV TV for a few months to try to pop a rating. Now, the fact that we don't know if they're going to be taping past this week, that's why I don't know if that outcome makes sense anymore. And then I heard the same reports that PC heard that Rhea's work visa had expired and she had to go back to the crib. And then this morning, and breaking kayfabe, we're recording this on a Wednesday evening, heading into Thursday morning, she posted something on her whatever that she was still here in America. So that throws a kind of a monkey wrench into that scenario, which that would have made more sense than having her win. But I think that the original plan was to have her win and have her on NXT for a little bit to go up against AEW. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so let's hit the the no DQ edge Orton match because we can kind of couple the cinematic ones together so that makes more sense that way. I've seen a lot of different takes on this one where, I mean, Meltzer, I think, said it was garbage and said it was one star. I personally really enjoyed it. I've seen some mixed bag and some other people were just like, oh, well, announcing didn't help. You didn't really need announcing to help. We knew the story. They were actively talking. So their back and forth was kind of interesting within itself. And you saw the reluctance in some of their moves. You saw Edge taking the extra chance going up on a ladder again after you know, basically crippling himself nine years ago. So, like, how did you take that one? Because that seems to be probably, well, not the most, but one of the most kind of, like, polarizing matches that came out of Mania this year. It's funny you bring that up, because I, I, I brought this up as well on uh, Around the Block with Mike Knox. You can find that on The Chair Shot. Well, we're going to get it up on The Chair Shot and everywhere else that podcast where you listen to your podcast. Uh, we did the uh, Postmania show Monday morning, and I brought this up, the same thing that you're saying, where I wasn't very active on social media during WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. I was more just watching WrestleMania. So I didn't, I wasn't attuned to the act or reactions of everything that was going on and that was happening around me. I enjoyed this match. Was it too long? Okay, yeah, you could maybe make the argument that they could have shaved off a few minutes, but I thought this match was brilliant. And this was the match that I was most looking forward to going into media because next Mm -hmm. to the Otis, Mandy Rose, and Dolph Ziggler storyline, this has been the best story that they've told since going back to Royal Rumble. They told a damn good story with this, and this was the match I was most looking forward to. And it's funny. So we watched WrestleMania with Amber's sister. So Amber's sister was down in Jacksonville. She downloaded the network, signed up for free, yada, yada. And we watched WrestleMania the night two simultaneously with her, simultaneously with her on FaceTime. And oh, cool. she's not a... She Yeah, and she's not a wrestling fan at all. She's a novice. We tried to get her into it. We took her down to 32 for Dallas, and it happened to be the worst mania in 15 years, and <laughs> she ain't been back since then. You know, <laughs> shout out to social distancing, because if it wasn't for that, she would have been here either. But she tuned it on. She turned it on, and right before the match happened, we explained to her the storyline, 
the history with the two guys and what exactly was going on. So between that and then the video montage package that nobody does better than WWE, she was all in, pun intended. She was all in on this match, and she was socially invested from bell to bell. So that's, I mean, what else do you have to say? This is a woman that doesn't watch wrestling at all. All she needed to know was about the storyline, and she was totally into this match. And I thought it was great. And another thing I saw that I didn't think about at the time was they did the spot where Edge was choking Randy Orton with the weight belt and something like that, and people were saying how insensitive that was on the heels of the Crispin wild, wild dark side of the ring and all of that. Honestly, I didn't even think about that until I saw people's reactions to that, and then I said, okay, yeah, I get where they're coming from. It's probably not the best look, but God damn it. They were in they were trying to find shit to do. I don't think anybody said it or going into it thinking about Chris Benoit or nothing like that, man. <laughs> Obviously that's a tragedy, but they were just trying to find shit to do to each other at the goddamn performance center. So y'all gotta relax, man. Y'all Could really you imagine do. walking gotta... through that match though? They're just clubbing each other as they're walking back, and then you just hear Edge scream or just just mumble Benoit spot, Benoit spot. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, like yes, that's because that's clearly what happened, people. Yeah, yeah, clearly that's really. what happened. You and talk the announcers. Go ahead, you, go ahead, I, Tony, I, I'm sorry. You talk about spots in the match, though. Uh, how about the more prevalent thing that came on social media after the match was Beth Phoenix calling out Edge for jumping off you the know, ladder. Yeah, well, not not technically not the ladder, but I'm you know quoting, "I'm going to change my style," and his response was, "Sorry," with a question mark. <laughs> Well, no, it was more like sorry because he's Canadian, so we know that that's how it came out. But that's some shit your woman would say for real. Like that's that probably was a shoot. There know? were some clever fucking spots there though, with the little chain length grating thing, like on top of the conference table, and I liked the fact that they knocked one of the camera guys down. You saw another idiot fucking just running in from the side, and it was it was clever how they utilized like even the cameraman as a way to kind of create almost like you know like a Blair Witch kind of docu-series movie scene where oh crap you know Bob's down go 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 somebody has to go in there and film this so there was a lot of clever clever editing or clever ways of shooting the whole thing which I thought helped and the announcing like I said if they fell out or if they weren't that prevalent who gives a fuck announcing doesn't need to handhold you through everything or over be overblown and I, I thought it was fine and y'all complain about the announcing all the time anyway. So what difference does it make? Y'all know the announcing sucks nowadays. So who oh. cares? Just come on, match. Man. Now, was it just me or did everybody else not love JBL's commentary? Because I thought I thought that saved some of the matches that he was commentating in. Because I thought he was oh, fucking hilarious. Yeah. JBL was phenomenal during the entire Mania. Shout out for him. He yeah, JBL was phenomenal. As a matter of fact, let me let me go back to the, a couple of guys that won Mania. Uh, Seth Rollins coming out with that outfit looking like Eddie Murphy from yeah. Holy Man. Shout well, out they, to Seth Rollins. They finally let him and wear white. And that match was phenomenal. Uh, the one the one referee that looks like the situation from Jersey Shore, <laughs> that Mellon Farmer, that Mellon Farmer made all the chicken this week, man. He was on both nights of Mania. He was on the NXT Gargano Chopper match tonight, and I'm pretty sure he was on Raw. I just didn't check for him on Raw, but I'm pretty sure he was on there. So shout out to him. And JBL was phenomenal on commentary. When they when 
Vince isn't in his ear and JBL actually gets to go out there and just be JBL, he's phenomenal. He really is. He's one of the best in the business. So, yeah, but but go ahead, man. Please continue what y'all were saying. Worst money spent, Gronkowski. <sighs> they didn't use him enough. I've just felt like he should have I been think because he's bad. Or in the show. I think because yeah, he's, he's bad. bad. He's, he's bad. He's, 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 he's goofy. No, he's not. He can yeah. catch footballs. That's all he can do. I mean, he's the 24 7, 7 11, 48 12, I 95, 13 12, whatever fuck European champion. So, right. what are you going to do about it? I don't it's know. social distancing Talk about, time. So I'm gonna, what are we going to do about it? You're going to mention R Truth's gimmick while talking about him. That's what you're going to do about it. Because well, R Truth is fantastic. And right. he's and held gr- the belt like 50 yes. times. So. Yes, and, and thank you. And Gronk sucks. So. <laughs> I mean,. You can't compare our truth to Gronk. That's not fair. We all <laughs> suck compared to our truth. Anywho, I don't <laughs> understand. No, it didn't go over my head. I'm just not going with your your Gronk hatred. You do not spew that. He may become a Buccaneer at some point. You never know. If Brady gives him a call, he may be in the future for my team. So I don't hate me, me and Gronk. Me and Gronk are staying cool because I don't if Brady hate... gives him a call, you never know. <laughs> I don't hate Gronk. He doesn't give a shit what you think of him and affecting him going to Tampa Bay ever coming back. And third, he just sucked at WrestleMania. That's all. Period. End of story. If Vince would have known he would have got the performance he got from him, he probably would have said, not such good shit, pal, and not sign He might be a sensitive-ass bro. You don't know about that. So, you know, I like to to play nice with that. He He could be a future buck. Hey, you got a better chance. PC got a better chance of Gronk becoming a Milwaukee Buck. Okay. <laughs> well, it's still a Buck. There we go. I didn't say which one had to be. <laughs> but no, yeah, I enjoyed that match, and I was very surprised by the backlash that it got on the internet. And I, I thought it told a great story. And like you said at the end, how Edge was. You know, he put him down very reluctantly. He had the tears in his eyes. He's obviously learned something from his acting because I, I thought that was very well done. Oh, it's yeah. like, I got to do it, but I do love you and you are my brother, but, you know, fuck you. Bam. That was great, man. Now, great I also thought it was a need. funny... I just thought it was a funny meta wrinkle that at some point when they were brawling in the back, they were brawling next to the big box that had the duct tape sign of pre-tapes. And I'm just like, oh... Oh, it's a pre-tape, and it's a box of pre-tapes. Oh, fuck you. That's funny. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So, yeah, I didn't get that at all. So, all right, are there any other thoughts that you had on this match or any other match or just some shit that you just want to get off your chest before we get to the most polarizing topics of the weekend? Not really. We're, We're pretty much, we covered it. You know, and now we've got to talk about the the wonderful matches that weren't matches, but they're still kind of sort of matches. Oh matches. wait, live, so live, live beat Natty on the pre-show. To that was on the pre-show, but you know, at least they gave Live something, so that's good. I'm glad. And oh no, Liv I was competent. Ah, God damn it, Pat, just go. I wasn't serious. I don't know why he's talking. What the fuck? No, let me. No, now I'm going to give you my analysis of the pre-show. <laughs> Court. Corey Graves was dressed like Louis Farrakhan, and Peter Rosenberg <laughs> was dressed like Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, <laughs> and that is my pre-show analysis, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I don't know. I, I thought it did good for Liv, and then the raw that followed was really good for her too, because she looked 
good against Asuka, which again also proves how good Asuka is at the game to make even Liv's kind of green, not exactly wonderful self look pretty competent. But I mean, there could be something in the future for Liv, and I like the fact that they're kind of pushing a newer face, but they're not like pushing her super hard or ramming her down anybody's throat. And she's, of course, nice <laughs> to look at. So <laughs> it's, it's nice. Mind, Never mind, never mind. No, 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 no. But no, Liv has something there. And I mean, you got to remember, man, she pulled out a decent match versus Lana a few months ago. So there's something there. She's got some athleticism. Obviously, she's easy on the eyes. There's something there. And that raw women's division all of a sudden is looking all right. Shout out to Big Fine, a.k.a. Nia Jax, who made her triumphant return on Mm -hmm. the Raw after Mania. And they called up Mrs. Uh, Montez Ford, a.k.a. Bianca Belair. So there's some there's some players there in the women's division on Raw right now. So, you know, uh, to quote Jr., business is just picked up. So we'll start with you want to start with the Boneyard or the Firefly? What do you think? Firefly is a little more polarizing, so let, let's go there because I think we're all going to be kind of on the same page with the Boneyard. All right, that's fair, yes, because uh, I, I already know what you're going to say about the Firefly, so why don't you go ahead. Well, no, let's do this, if, if you will. If you, if would you, you Are you will. willing to indulge me? Yeah. Are you willing to indulge me, Mr. Blast, if you will? you, daddy. You can talk however you like. Hard times, no times, good times. Have a good time. That's how we do it. Mr. Tunney? What are your thoughts on the Firefly Funhouse? And before you answer, just keep in mind that we're really glad that you're our friend. And this is a friendship that will never, ever end. As he takes a sip of the claw. Well, I'll be brief. Dramatic pause. I'll be brief, and I'll give you Eric Bischoff's thoughts on this match, in which he replied it was bizarre, I think was his word. Uh, Definitely bizarre, or some synonym of bizarre used, and said, uh, I was fired from WWE in October, and yet I showed up in the main event of WrestleMania. You figure that one. Or maybe just wrestling's weird, man. Yeah, wrestling's weird, but come on, that was. I honestly, you might be surprised, but I love the Firefly Funhouse. I thought that was fantastic. And before you go on, let me let me just let me just do let me just because I was waiting for this spot right here to kind of give a preview to what's going to happen on the DWI podcast this week. Former WWF wrestler Frankie DeFalco gives his thoughts on the Firefly Funhouse in which he loved and thought it was such good shit, pal. <gasps> such good shit, pal. That's good shit, pal. God damn it, that's good shit. Ooh, Can you imagine yeah. if it's much after, mercy. <laughs> after a particularly good steak or a salad or something like that, and he's just sitting on the bowl by himself playing... um. Candy Crush or whatever the fuck Vince plays, <laughs> and then he looks down right before he flushes. That's good shit. I should. I should. Vascular. I should never <laughs> promise I'm going to shut up because I was at work today and I was about to sneeze and I good didn't. Shit. No, you do that now. 
No, no, and I didn't, and I didn't, right? And someone was just sneeze like, shit. I didn't, I didn't sneeze. Okay, I didn't sneeze. Good. And someone was like, just let it out, go ahead, let it out. And I looked at the person that was standing there that was also a wrestling fan, and I looked at that person while I was actually talking to the other person, and I go, certain powerful people consider sneezing a weakness. And that person laughed. <laughs> that's good. That's good shit. God damn it, that's good shit. But balls, man, I, I'm not gonna lie to you, bro. I thought that that's why I called you Smugs McKenzie because I thought that, frankly, I thought I was gonna end up yelling at you tonight over this Fuck, match. Why right would here. you? That was amazing. I, that I, was. I, yeah, please that, continue. That was exactly what the fiend has been trying to do with everybody else, where he's trying to pick out weaknesses or old things and hurt or heal or bring back the past or get them to overcome some kind of roadblock. And we actually got to cinematically see him go through John Cena's character progression and each of his alter egos piece by piece from prototype to thugonomics to, to hustle, loyalty, respect. And then, Oh, the fucking, the fucking NWO Hollywood Cena kind of thing. That that was great too. When then it culminates with him finally giving into his hate which is something Kane tried to do. It's something Bray Wyatt tried to do. It's something everybody tried to do when he was always Mr. Eat Your Vitamins, Hulk Hogan Jr., Superman that wasn't going to give in to his hate, and he still got to find a good guy way to kind of beat him. And he tried to take him out with a chair. And then that's when The Fiend shows up because he finally flipped. The flip, the switch finally flipped, and then it was it was great. It was nice to just watch the deconstruction of the John Cena character through all of his old gimmicks and just fucking stupid shit like Johnny Large Meat. That I think I saw Austin Creed's tweet about that and he's like, wait, no, Johnny Large Meat, please tell me I heard that wrong. Because that's fucking fantastic. And the fact you could only say ruthless aggression, because that's the only thing anybody ever quotes from his fucking Kurt Angle kind of thing. And like, ruthless aggression. Ruthless aggression. It's like, oh my God, this is this was fantastic. I uh, like I enjoyed it. It wasn't a match, but for what it was, I loved every second of it. I actually watched it a second time the day afterwards because it was that fucking awesome. I haven't rewatched WWE match in a long fucking time. I know the culmination of this topic. We're waiting for what Plaid is thinking, but I, I just want to say the same people who bitched about what they did with this are the same people who would have bitched about Oh, another John Cena wrestling match. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And people have been critical of Bray Wyatt matches as well. And I mean, to be fair, a lot of them rightfully so. But the thing is, for years, we've been wanting, but we've been wanting for years, WWE to take some chances to do some different things. And now they finally do them. And they're getting shat on upon that. Now, I knew going into it that this was going to be a very polarizing segment. So, Balls, you said you went back and rewatched it. Bro, I've watched it five times now. Because the first time I watched it, you know, again, I was FaceTiming with Amber's sister. And, you know, we had some other things going on. And we had mm-hmm. been drinking and whatnot. And I, 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 was, I was intrigued. My, my initial reaction was Titus's reaction. I don't know what I just watched. <laughs> But then I went back and I rewatched it and I rewatched it and I rewatched it. And 
because Amber was the same way. She didn't hate it, but she didn't really understand what, what was happening here. And this is kind of the dichotomy between this match and the Boneyard match, where I think, well, we'll get to that momentarily. But just focusing on this match right here, this was a match that actually, or not even a match. It wasn't a match. It wasn't a match. But this segment was something that actually rewarded the hardcore wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. Because it was so meta. And y'all know I'm 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 King Meta. I love talking about wrestling on a meta level. Y'all know that. I probably get meta's on your nerves. Meta bra- world bringing piece. up the word pop. That's <laughs> great. I probably get on your nerves the much, you know, as much as I bring up the word meta. But it, it really operated on that level and it rewarded you for watching WWE for all this time. Because if you didn't watch WWE and you weren't familiar with the John Cena character. It, this was going to go way over your head. And that's how it was with Amber because, you know, she didn't start watching this shit till her and I got together. So then what we did was I went back and I watched it with her again after I watched it a few times by myself. And I was able to go scene by scene, frame by frame, and break down literally everything that was happening and, you know, help her to understand what exactly was happening and why it was happening. And, you know, by the end, by, by the time we got to the end, she was with she was with us. I mean, it was dope. This was absolutely phenomenal, and I would love to see Bray Wyatt book a territory when he gets done wrestling because he's mentally he's just on such another level than eh, damn near everybody else out here in the industry. Like I I can't say enough good things about this segment, and you know, balls the way you broke it down, it was you know that was great. You know, it started from the beginning with ruthless aggression. And, you know, John Cena's humble beginnings. So he brings that up. He brings up and and obviously it didn't work because we all we have all whether they're true or not. Again, it's playing to us, the IWC, that the rumors were that he was about to get fired because he didn't have any personality. And then he kept trying to slap him and slap him and slap him. And then he threw the little Nikki Bella jab there at him. You know, you can look, but you can't touch. So now we're bringing up not only your biggest professional failure, but arguably your biggest personal failure too. And Bray also had a really interesting line there as well, talking about, you know, he says something along the lines of Cena being lonely. So in other words, that ruthless aggression literally Mm -hmm. led him to the top of his profession. But as a result of reaching the pinnacle of your profession, you literally lost everything else. Like, yo, this shit was just so dope. You literally lost everything else. And then we proceed a little bit to the uh, word, like, this is basic thugonomics. And I still pop with Rambling Rabbit was uh, had the shades on and he was playing the keyboard and shit. <laughs> that shit makes me pop. I, I've been laughing off that for the last three days, man. I'm not going to lie. I, that, I pop off of that. But he comes out and, you know, he's doing the rap and whatnot. And that literally was the rap like everything Bray said again was true he the whole rap was about basically just you know cutting down his opponents and making them feel like shit and taking the piss and vinegar out of them and then it was a bunch of sophomore dick jokes and Bray Mm -hmm. brought that up you're a bully because we've heard that and we've thought about that a lot too how he cuts down his opponents because if you listen to the old school wrestling guys they say that you never want to bury your opponent which that makes sense because if you bury your opponent okay if you go out and beat him well you you already told us he wasn't shit yeah, you beat a jabroni, so why should we care? Or if you lose, well, 
you just told us this guy was a jabroni and you lost to him, so what's that make you? But you know what I mean? So and 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 those have been a lot of the critiques on Cena, you know, from backstage and in front of the camera as well, how he cuts down his opponents and makes sure that they can't get to his level anymore. So they went through that and he can only speak in the rhyme and stuff, and then he gets punched and then they go to the NWO thing, which is about the the Cena heel turn that never happened, that we all wanted to happen, but never happened, and apparently might have kind of sort of maybe gotten close in 2011 to the point where Cena brought heel gear and stuff like that and then Vince said well well that's not going to work out which I can't say I blame him because we'll, we'll, we'll get to that momentarily we're just going through the story right here so we get to that what if and shout out to Eric Bischoff getting a little bit of love on Wrestlemania and then you get to the spot where he just snaps Cena just snaps and all the frustration and everything because you know you just know, as much as he tried to be a company man, he tried to be Vince's right-hand guy and be Vince's perfect idea of a babyface, you got to know, if you get Cena alone, one-on-one, after a few shots of yak, and you talk to him, that shit really had to bother him, that he was never fully embraced by the WWE universe. It just has to. He's only human. So then he's punching, and it's looking like he's punching at Bray Wyatt, but then they're showing all these other clips, you know, Randy Orton, which, you know, he was always considered the superior in-ring wrestler, you know, and that was his contemporary. And then the CM Punk, well, that was the people's champ. Those are the, that's the one that the people chose to be their savior or the rock. He came back and put Cena in his place. Yeah, you are right, but you will never be on my level, you know, or, you know, Brock Lesnar, who another contemporary that people look more fondly upon, or even Roman Reigns, who, I, I, you know, I sacrificed my life for this industry, and now I got to put over the next guy. So they've already moved on to the next and all of that. Just, you know, just getting out all that frustration. Then he looks down, and it's actually the little Husky Pig, which is representing Husky Harris. And it was that that point where he realized that everything that Bray Wyatt, and by extension us, have been saying about him all these years was true. And it was only at that point that The Fiend came out when he had that realization that, oh, shit, everything everybody says about me is true. That's when The Fiend came out because that's literally when he finally let him in. And then he finished the job. And the most telling part, which I just thought it was a fire-ass promo. I didn't think twice about it until you know I, go, I went back and watched it a couple of times, five or six to be exact. But the last line that, that Cena had on the go home promo on SmackDown before Mania, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something along the lines of at WrestleMania, I'm going to make the most what was it the most overhyped, what was it overrated, and most coddled superstar in WWE history disappear. Am I y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and you know obviously the whole time we think he's talking about Bray Wyatt, but the flip in the storyline was he was actually talking about himself because at the end, he literally disappeared. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's hard for me to believe that we're never going to see Jonathan, Anthony, Tyrone, Jermaine Cena in a WWE (laughs) ring ever, ever again. But that would be a very interesting way to go out. And he actually had a very cryptic tweet as well that alluded to that being the end of him and I'm gonna let you guys talk and I'm gonna find that tweet and pull it up but yeah just overall this shit was so dope on so many levels 
Yeah, I've, I don't really have a, a shitload to add to that because you, you broke it down even further. And you're right. It was it was exactly what the hardcores, the IWC, would probably enjoy because of all the little wrinkles, all the little nods, all the all the little bits. And it was it was really it was just a spectacle. It was something interesting to watch. And I think my not biggest takeaway but the, the thing that just hits me in the nicest kind of way, I suppose, is Cena was cool with all this. Cena didn't mind disappearing. He didn't mind Bray yes. basically breaking him down like a psychologist and just putting it all out there for everybody to see. And that's why you're, you're I agree with you completely, because I thought something similar with the whole lonely line, which that lonely line is that type of shit you would get from a like a psychiatric office where they're just be like, oh, you must live a really lonely life. And then it causes all this deep introspection kind of thing. And it was it almost felt throwaway, but it was one of the most poignant lines he had in that entire. Yes. Whatever the hell yes. you want to say. And so I'll, I'll give Cena some credit that he was he was cool with doing that. And maybe it was his last. Yeah. Maybe, it, you know, maybe we don't see him for a few years. But regardless, that was that was neat. That's an interesting point you brought up, man, because I thought about that as well, because he had to sign off for that shit. And I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. Bray got in his ass. And the fact that he was OK with that, yeah, you have to give him his props as well. So the tweet that I was alluding to earlier, just real quick, Tony, and this is from Cena 15 hours ago at 12 a.m. on Thursday morning. <clears throat> and I quote, all things in. When it's time to leave, leave them guessing. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. It would be an interesting way to go out, so I don't know. What were you going to say, Tony? I'll just close it out real quickly and and transition over into The Undertaker versus AJ Styles' Boneyard match, which we're all eager to talk about, and it was phenomenal. I thought you were gonna fall in line with you know with the coordinates and the, the oh, melters no. and all of that. Yeah. No, I I like it when it has a point. If it was just if it was just goof to goof, then it might have bothered me. But just like you, I saw what the deconstruction was. I saw the subversion deconstruction, however you wanna actually phrase it. And yeah. the fact that it just it went through his entire career and even a what if scenario, be it the heel turn or if they were just equating him to Hollywood Hulk Hogan because he was a bully, so it was like showing that he's really a bad guy, so he should have done this and maybe embrace it earlier. Who knows? But it's, it's, it's up for interpretation. I thought that was fun. It was clever. Let's get to the actual main event of the entire WrestleMania weekend, gentlemen. And that was undubitably uh, a a word that I know Platt is really enjoyed that I speak from my soup coolers. That's indubitably. (laughs) Undertaker. Them shits, man. Them shits ain't cooling those soup, man. That's like a... (laughs) 
<laughs> you can't even cool a cup of coffee with them thin ass shits, bro. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I kid, I kid. You know I love you. You and your thin lips. I've been complimented many a times on, on my lips. All right. We're at the pit, we- so where you putting them? Oh, boy. I think we should continue to talk about wrestling. Uh, I, I was. I suppose. Sure. <laughs> this is an interesting fucking segue right here, but all right, get to it. Sorry, right, no, buddy. I'm, done, I'm, I'm done, man. We've been talking for long enough, man. Go ahead, Tony. I'm not done now. Hard liquor? No, you can't be a hard liquor, man. They don't like that type of stuff, man. You have to be very delicate and gentle. That's a very delicate area. How would no, you like somebody no, 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 no. Like vodka, whiskey. Oh, hard oh, liquor. Oh, um, <laughs> um. <laughs> and, and Chris, let, 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 let's be serious here. It depends on the person. Not everything. They're, they're not all delicate flowers. This was a yes or no question. Hard liquor. Hard liquor? This is a yes or no question. I'm the person. You heard the band. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm usually pretty gentle. So anyway, let's get to Undertaker versus AJ Styles. Now, I want to set this up by, in my mind, I'm thinking AJ Styles picked the place and Undertaker showed up. I'm going to tell y'all like Amber told me after we went back and watched this because I think she... She was on the phone with her sister during night one. This is before she ordered it. So she was kind of half-assed paying attention, so I had to show it to her again because I've watched this three or four times as well. That's how much I enjoyed it. But I'm going to tell you like she said. And she hasn't been a lifelong fan of this shit like we have. But she said, point blank, period. If you did not enjoy the Boneyard match, you're literally just looking for a reason to hate WWE. Yeah, that that's pretty pretty easy. That that surmised it nicely because yes, it wasn't a match. Yes, AJ Styles didn't win. So some people can gripe about an old man not letting the younger guy with some years go over. But let I mean let let's really look at this. AJ Styles is forty two. He's got two years plus, left on his contract. Plus so, he's a very smaller man than an Undertaker. So those bumps are going to add up a little quicker on him as opposed no, to a bigger yeah. guy. But it's not like it's a 27-year-old guy with, like, 10, 15 years and, like, Undertaker's passing the torch. To me, all of this setup was Taker got a good win, and then next year we're going to have Mania. It's going to be Bray getting his revenge on Taker in another cinematic-style kind of match, and that's when we're going to see Bray finally get his win over Taker. Taker's going to pass the torch, pass the urn, however you want to look at it, and Taker can go away and Bray can be the new big bad guy. I don't know if Taker comes back, though, because they've been, well, number one, the way that it ended, it was super cinematic with Taker riding off into the moonlight. And then they showed the preview for his upcoming special, which is called The Last Ride. You know, the Goldberg match, everybody was like, eh. The Shawn Michaels or the DX and Kane match, obviously, that was a, oh, my God, that was an abortion of a situation for a number of reasons. So this, and he's had many a times, 
he's had the opportunity to ride off into the sunset perfectly. He could have retired after the end of the era WrestleMania match. The Hell in a Cell with him versus Triple H and Shawn Michaels was the ref. That would have been the perfect time to walk away. He could have walked away after the Brock Lesnar match at Mania 30 when the streak was broken. Granted, I can see why he didn't because he don't remember shit about it. And that would kind of suck to be your last match and you don't remember shit about it. I get that. Uh, the match with Roman Reigns when he literally retired by, you know, taking off his all this shit and putting it in the ring and going to kiss his shoot wife at the end of the, of the uh, festivities. Perfect times for him to walk away and say goodbye. This falls into that veil again. But again, I don't know if we've seen the last of him. I actually think if they're going to explore this avenue this might be a way to extend his career by another five or six years. He doesn't have to take a whole lot of bumps and they can edit whatever they need to edit and they can do all the mumbo jumbo and the voodoo hoodoo and whatnot, but it would be a great way to walk away and end it all. Like there was an, a, a little bit of an amalgamation. There was, I mean, he, he was there as biker taker, you know, there was obviously a little bit of the dead man stuff when AJ thought he had him buried and he pulled up behind him. And the shit talking, I attribute that to Wavecap Taker. So I feel like we got all the takers rolled into one at this. And I, I don't know how this could have been any better. No, I, I don't disagree there. My only reason I think that Bray gets his shot. Now, it might even be at SummerSlam because was it SummerSlam or Survivor Series that Taker debuted? It was Survivor, Survivor Series. Series. Survivor Series. So maybe Survivor Series, we get another cinematic thing where Taker goes out the same show we came in. But I think Bray is the point that we need because Bray is kind of on his revenge tour with The Fiend. Taker would be on that list. And this, much like you said, where it can extend his career, it could at least make it for an interesting match. And it's an interesting cinematic way to get over to supernatural characters. And I don't mean get over to the fans but get over the passing of powers, passing of you're the new big supernatural bad guy, something like that. Because we've had plumbers, we've had undertakers, we've had, Mm. you know, zombies, we've had all this other shit. So it's not ridiculous to think the fiend would, you know, be the eater of worlds and he ate John Cena's world or, and now he's going to go after Taker and eat the powers or some shit like that. It, It all falls within the wrestling scope. You know, I hadn't thought about it until you said that, but I believe that he debuted at Survivor Series in 1990, if I'm not mistaken. So if we're going to have a Survivor Series this year, which at this point, hell, we don't really know, do we? We don't know how long this shit's going to last. Yeah, and probably will. I, I'm just saying, man, everybody's talking about, you know, in this country, stay at home and blase this, blase that. Okay, that's great, but the fuck are y'all doing to fix this shit? Like, okay, we all stay at home and the shit is just floating out in the atmosphere. And then as soon as everybody goes back and we start go mingling and shit, we get part two of this motherfucker that is probably oh, yeah. mutated. Like, nobody's doing anything about this, you know? Mm-hmm. But, I, uh, but that's another tangent that we don't need to go down. But it would be perfect synergy for him to go out on the 30-year anniversary of his debut in the WWF, now the WWE, which would be at this November Survivor Series. But I don't know, man. They're going to keep paying him, and, and, you know, it's kind of hard to turn down that check. You know, he does have a hot young wife. AJ wasn't telling all lies, you know? 
Yeah, same but he's still same old school, so I feel like he's got to go out on his back because that is that is the old school mentality, and he's very old school in that. So you got to figure if it's his last one, he's losing it, and I don't see anybody better than Bray to lose to. What's what's my wife's name again? I'm old, right? <laughs> hey, it used to be tattooed on his neck, so I'm glad he got that covered up, or then that would have been a funny joke. How do you gentlemen feel about the trend that could possibly be upon us of more cinematic style wrestling matches or just more cinematic storylines within wrestling shows? Because this was a big hit. This can prolong careers, most definitely. I mean, it started kind of with like Lucha Underground and the Broken Universe stuff that TNA Impact was doing with Hardy. So Agreed. it's not like it's it's unseen and there was a group of people that really enjoyed Lucha Underground. I didn't hate it, even though it did come off way too much like a Spanish telenovela at times. But it was still entertaining. Broken Universe, there's a lot of people that love that. That's why Matt Hardy kind of has a job now in AEW, broken character. So I I can't really see a downside to this. Chris, do you have any negative that you could throw with this? I, I do, but before I get to that, number one, shout out to Jeremy Borash, who, if if y'all don't know that name, good he point, was basically point. Mr. Everything in TNA, and he was recently hired, maybe within the last three years, by WWE, and he was hired by Triple H. He is basically Triple H's answer to Vince McMahon's Kevin Dunn, and he was also very mm. much involved in those broken vignettes and everything that was going on in that broken universe. He was very much hand in hand with Matt Hardy in in putting those things together. So it's hard for me to believe. And I haven't heard this and I haven't even really heard his name out there. You know, anybody float his name out there. But it, it, it's very hard for me to believe that he wasn't extremely hands on in the process of putting together this boneyard match. Like even with the Firefly Funhouse, I've heard Uncle Bruce's name floated out there. It was him and Bray and, and Cena and the three of them kind of put this together. But with this boneyard match, I haven't heard Borash's name out there. And I feel like somebody needs to do that because it's hard for me to believe that he didn't have his hands on this. I like where the industry is going if we're going to go here with this more cinematic approach because obviously the industry has to evolve because everything has to evolve or die. That's just the nature of nature. But but what worries me about this is that how many wrestling companies out there really, number one, have the resources? When I say resources, I mean money. Or even the ability to do this as well as WWE did this like they pulled this shit off it wasn't it wasn't cheap but they had the resources to do it and they also had the production to do it because nobody does video packages as well as WWE I mean we can all agree to that so what worries me is that you know everything is copycat you know, the reason that we have a Burger King is because McDonald's was successful. You you understand what I'm saying? Like everything mm-hmm. copycats off of everything else, man. So my worry is that uh, similar to these hardcore matches and these matches with the 86,000 moves where everybody kicks out of everybody else's finishers and stuff like that. I'm scared that people are going to try to mimic this and, and simulate this when they don't have the resources, the wherewithal, the time, the effort, or the creativity or talent to pull it off as well as these two angles were pulled off. 
So that worries me that it's going to get watered down. Kind of like hip hop, man. It's just going to get watered down. Like people just hear bitch, pussy, nigga, fuck, shit, damn, kill, kill. And they think that that's what hip hop is about. They didn't really understand the nuances or the subtleties or really understand what the actual music or the process was about. They just took all the cuss words, put into some bullshit beats, and now people's making money off of that shit. And I feel like that's my fear with this, is that people are going to try to duplicate it, something that can't be duplicated. Does that make sense at all? does it does but i i feel like this is something that we have to worry about a little less and i'm only saying that based off the fact that you look at aew aew prides themselves more on in-ring work like a japanese promotion does and we already saw tna do it and tna impact whatever you want to call them do it a little bit beforehand and they've still been doing it with the rosemary stuff but it comes off campier but that's also because of the style they're utilizing, like when they killed Allie and they do all their Rosemary shit and James Mitchell and all that other crap. Lucha Underground was like a really big Kickstarter for this. And that's also very like Spanish because, you know, El Santo was in how many movies? An original Blue Demon where it was El Santo and Blue Demon versus the zombie space pirates from Mars or some shit like that. And you literally have luchadors fighting against creatures or aliens or whatever and that didn't really seem to take off so i feel like this is more the modernization of that and that took what 50 years before it really kind of started to warp itself into the mainstream or something like that that people find accessible or find enjoyable so wwe hasn't been a wrestling company since the 90s really and this just helps them kind of differentiate and helps them throw something out there different and that's what i think they need i think they need to steer into the skit a little bit and move away from the actual ring wrestling very by the books kind of this is what a wrestling match is and go more into the cinematic into the movie kind of stuff into the sports entertainment that vince seems to enjoy more and go from that and then yeah people will copy it's not going to be as good it's not like you're going to get a random indie match where they're going to show you the match on a screen because what they're going to be a slide projector and they bring down the big fucking white thing come on what the fuck that's going to look horrible so yeah maybe eventually but we're looking at like what 15 20 years before anybody probably even tries to do it wwe style and i'm kind of excited if wwe steers into this the amazing thing is the same company that came up with this Bray Wyatt and John Cena thing, I'm not even going to try to say that name, and this Boneyard match, this is the exact same company that had their top babyface saying suffering fuckatas. Like, that's amazing <laughs> to me. How two things the same, you know? But yeah, I'm with you, man. I want them to steer to the skilled, and I want them to... Let's push the boundaries and the limits of this thing a little bit because this thing came across well. And something else that I haven't yet heard anybody else talk about, which I'm sure they will or they probably already have, I just haven't heard it yet, is maybe now we could get that Understicker sting, sting match that y'all seem to be cuckoo for Cocoa Puss over. You know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <clears throat> Do you, you want know? that? Is yeah. that what you want? Do you want that? I don't want it anymore. No. Do you want it, Balls? I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I love Sting. Sting's been my number one with a bullet for, you know, when it comes to WCW influence for a long time. So the fan in me wants Sting just because it's Sting and I'll pop for it. But no, I don't really want to see the match. 
Speaking of that, though, just as we're on the cinematic thing and we can steer out of this, Gargano Ciampa was done in a cinematic style, but it was done as a actual wrestling match cinematically. So I don't know if you've seen that yet, but you should watch that and give me your take on that because that was I thought it was really fucking good, but I'm kind of curious how you feel about doing an actual match cinematically instead of with the bells and whistles of a subversion with the Firefly Funhouse or just a horror movie fight scene, basically, with the Boneyard match. The only thing... I did actually watch that match, and frankly, the only thing that made it interesting to me was the cinematic aspect of it. And, of course, the ending when... Mrs. Oh, the ending uh, was fantastic. Gargano came out. Yeah, that was cool. But you finally found ending, out what but... was in the bag. I love that. Yeah, that was good. But... Other than that, yeah, but I, and I did like the cinematic aspect of it, but I'm just tired of seeing these two guys wrestle. And I know it's going to make for a really great DVD one day, and it's going to put together a really great video package, and it's going to make it seem like this was some epic-ass rivalry. But other than their initial match in the Cruiserweight Classic and then their first actual match after they had broken up the tag team, I think it was at one of the takeovers. I think it was TakeOver New Orleans, but it was one of those. I don't know. But other than those first two matches, the rest of their matches, eh, they just haven't done it for me, man. They they just haven't. It's been too much. They've been trying too hard. And, I mean, goddamn, if they pull up the ring skirt one more time and somebody <laughs> gets dropped on that fucking wooden plank one more goddamn time, come on, man. No, but, I get yeah, I, I just I'm just sick of seeing this feud. Honestly, I like this feud a lot more than I like Gargano Cole because I thought Gargano Cole got overbooked to the indie bullshit level. And this at least feels like a grudge match. This at least feels like two brothers who got their issues, who one's the bad guy, one's the good guy. Then it flips just because, you know, you get pissed off. Somebody gets on your nerves or then you, you kind of hash it out. And then you're just like, wait, no, motherfucker, you fucked me over last time. So, you know what? I'm going to fucking get you this time. And that That's that sibling shit. And I, I know you, you guys siblings, so you understand. And it's yeah. it, that's what I like about this story is that it felt organic. The matches, sure, some were maybe a little better than others. But at least the story was organic enough to not just be like, Ah, great. It's a random fucking feud that they haven't, you know, dropped in over a year and a half or whatever. And seeing as how WWE only has shows taped up to maybe SmackDown on Friday, Lord knows what we're going to be talking about next week. So I stay tuned, folks, I suppose, huh? True, true. It'd be an all-impact podcast, right, Tony? Impact. Pod is impact. I might have to just I might have to just edit the last 20 seconds of this podcast. <laughs> Anywho, but so real quick, uh Mr. Belaz or Mr. Tunney, before we get up out of here, any other final thoughts for this Mania weekend or just anything overall that's happening in the wrestling world that y'all just feel like you gots to get off your chest? No, I thought it was a good good show, good effort. Not not the best mania, not like I liked last year's more than this one, but it it wasn't shit. And given what we have to deal with and what they had to deal with, I, I thought they kinda made chicken salad out of chicken shit. So I'm well, not upset. You know. Yes. So Tony, you got you got anything uh, poignant to say? Okay, well that's fuck shit. He's done. 
<laughs> Chris, you want to send us home? <laughs> oh, man. Shout out to WWE, man. I was intrigued. I'm still on my mania high. But before we get out of here again, make sure you all go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and hook us up, man. Show us some love. We've got a lot of different shirts. You're going to find something on there you like. I guarantee it. So just go there. You're not doing shit else. You know you're shopping online. So you might as well show your favorite website for news, reviews, and analysis with attitude, a little bit of love. Again, ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. You can find me on Around the Blocks with Mike Knox. That's where all your podcasts are wherever you find podcasts you can find that there we're also going to get it up on this chair shot chair shot site momentarily don't even worry about it don't even trip we got y'all you can find mr tunny on the dwy podcast they're going to be doing their mania review this week and they're also going to have baby balaz on the show aka brother of balls bob he's going to be coming on as well to give his mania reactions and reviews and whatnot uh you can also find any amalgamation of us on bandwagon nerds on the chair shot radio network so check that out it's a really cool podcast if you're a nerd you like to nerd out and mark out that's the spot for you pot is war you can find us anywhere where podcast or anywhere you find your podcast we're there melon farmers we're on spotify itunes iHeartRadio. Google Play. And also, shout out to our distribution partners, eWrestlingNews.com as well as Raja.com. You can also find the chair shot there as well. Not just the podcast, but the analysis, the reviews, the articles, everything that you love about chair shot. You can just find it in more places now, which that should be appreciative of you. All right. That being said, Mr. Belaz, where can the good people find you, sir? And I hope I said that well. You did, but just not nearly as many places as you. Shit, I got to step my game up a little bit because it's just on Twitter with IWC Warchief doing some uh, some reviews and uh, opinion pieces for eWrestlingNews.com and, of course, the chair shot. And, uh, you know, I don't think we plug it much here, but Pod is War does have its own Twitter Twitter page, and it's pod underscore is underscore war so if if you don't necessarily care for us individually and you like it more as the collective then follow the show on twitter tony oh fuck he's just done she doesn't even want to plug his shit all right, well, you can find him. Just listen to the DWI podcast, man. It's actually a really cool podcast, and you'll hear more of his opinions and reviews. And, hell, that brilliant thing that he was going to bring up about the Firefly Funhouse. Two things. Pop to me. Yeah, I guarantee he's going to have it on the DWI podcast. You guys can find me on Twitter at the Real C Plaid and everywhere else that I plugged before I threw it to Andrew. That being said, I hope you guys enjoyed WrestleMania weekend, including the Raw after Mania, because frankly, man, we're living in a state of flux right now. We don't know when we're going to get more wrestling content. We really don't. All I can say to everybody out there, stay strong, stay positive, social distancing. I promise we're going to get through this, all right? Everything is going to be okay. Just wash your hands. Keep it out your mouth, wash your ass, and everything is going to be fine. It'll get great a little later. Just relax. And turn off the television every now and again, because this shit will have you thinking that 
everybody got that shit. I, I didn't say everybody. I said everybody. So stay off TV, man. It, 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 you know, limit your social media intake as well. Take this time the same way that WWE should take this time. This is an opportunity. Remember, in every tragedy, there's opportunity. And this is an opportunity, not just for WWE or the wrestling world in general, but for you under the sound of my voice. This is a golden opportunity for you to hit the reset button. Are you upset? Are you mad about your lot in life? Do you feel like you're underachieving and you have so much, you know that you have so much more inside of you. I know you have so much more inside of you. So I know that you know, because I know you have so much more inside of you that you can offer this world. This is your opportunity to step back, cut out some of the bad, maybe develop a little bit more good and let your light shine on the world. The world is starved for you being unique. It's cliche, but it often is with the truth. See, it's nothing too new or nothing deep. We all knew it as youth. Just seems we forgot as soon as we grew a few feet. Thank you guys for tuning in to the latest edition of Pod is War. God willing, we'll see you back next week. Until next time, shalom. Hit it, Carly. Oh